0: As the regular season winds down and we look ahead to conference championships, bowl games, and the college football playoff, CFB Winning Edge is hard at work preparing for 2022. With the generous support of our Patreon members, we are able to keep this show ad-free, fund off-season improvements and annual updates, as well as new and special projects. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to learn more about our 2022 plans and pledge as little as $5 per month to help us grow and improve in 2022 and beyond.
1: Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. On the Twitter machine, I despise Week 10. I hated it. Didn't like anything about it. My picks on betting pros were terrible. Uh, The uh, Longhorns lost again. No idea who the quarterback's going to be. Bijan got hurt. So I'm going to have a great time in Austin this weekend going to the game. At least they're 31 point favorites against Kansas. No chance they cover that. But, uh, you know, uh, week 10 is in the books, Nick. What did we think about week 10?
0: Well, I mean, uh, you know, in some ways, I've, I'm with you. I mean, we've we've talked plenty this year about how I've been disappointed in in uh, a lot of our projections week to week. We'll get into more details a little bit later. I've actually come around a little bit. I've accepted it, and, and I'm I'm uh, you know beginning to tell myself that it's not actually as bad as as I've been telling myself all season. But you know, I'm I'm with you in some respects where we're getting toward the end of the regular season. Uh, bowl games on the horizon, conference championships, all that good stuff, and I'm already in a lot of ways looking ahead to 2022. I mean, you guys know that that this time of year, I often am ready to get started on a lot of 2022 projects. Got some things in the works. Put up some uh, details of some of the uh, projects that we have in mind for uh, you know the the winter months, basically uh, leading into next off season. So, in in some ways, I'm with you. I understand you know, let's put some of this behind us and and move on. But, you know, we we still do have uh, plenty to talk about. And and there were some good things about Week 10. There were a lot of great games. Uh, There were a handful of surprises. I know three games went to overtime. There were others that came down to the final play. Uh, We had our final two winless teams, Arizona and UNLV, uh, win games. We saw some unexpected results, including South Carolina just absolutely blowing out Florida. Um, there's coaching changes to talk about. I mean, the, the uh, two of the very you know hardest jobs in the country, Akron and UMass, both opened officially this past week. It sounds like FIU is uh, going to make a change as well. Those are three teams ranked at the very bottom of our uh, current team rankings, but that also means that they're going to be among the first we talk about when we're doing off season stuff. So uh, there's, there's a lot going on. We even had a couple of, uh, you know, hires, uh, you know, or one, I guess, major hire, uh, Joey McGuire, assistant at Baylor uh, longtime Texas high school coach was hired at Texas tech seems to be making a splash immediately on the recruiting trail. Uh, But there's, there's a lot going on. And, and so some of it is, is certainly, uh, you know, look ahead. There's plenty of things related to, you know, big, you know, top ten teams lost. Michigan State, and Wake Forest uh, suffered their first losses. Other ranked teams: Baylor, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Minnesota went down. So it's it's always kind of an interesting time for me specifically at the end of the year because there's all this stuff I want to look at. You know, looking ahead to next season, coaching changes, and and you know, getting some back end stuff prepared. But also, you know, there's there's a lot left to do as far as uh, conference title races, bowl games, playoff picture. Uh, it's a it's a pretty exciting time for for both of those reasons. But uh, I'm with you on week 10 in some respects. But in, in others, it was a, it was a pretty exciting week to just, just, you know, stand back and, and uh, look at some of the really interesting things that happened.
1: Way more people mad about the the CFP rankings uh, than anything this week, Xavier. So uh, a lot of that going on, having uh, Michigan ahead of Michigan State. Got a lot of people stirred up. So, uh, But what did you think about week 10 as a whole, Xavier?
2: I mean, I think week 10 for a lot of us, SEC fans just weeded out a lot of the Big Ten conversation, which was fun. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's to watch Michigan State fall to Purdue and the way in which they did it, which, once again, Purdue is a dominant force. What is it? They're the first team ever to beat two top five teams in the same season, I think it is. Uh, I believe that that was the statistic that came across the screen or the graphic that ESPN used. They're two. They're an unranked team to beat two top five teams. During two the same regular teams. season. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that was awesome to watch. Uh, Purdue continues to do it. Let's see if they can do it for a third week. Only only things they won't be at home this week, so I I I know you know we'll get to that. I don't think that's going to happen. Outside of that, it's always fun to watch Florida get absolutely stomped in by South Carolina. I mean that was just a treat. (laughs) That was I was that was just an amazing treat. Honestly, I got I got the I have the amazing ability to have a bunch of Florida fans as friends. And going into that game, I've never heard them more pessimistic in my life about a game that I felt like they should have just walked all over. I have my best one of my best friends who is a pretty much a Florida Twitter favorite. He was like, I'll be honest with you, don't think we'll win tonight. I was like, really? Against what South Carolina's third string quarterback? He all was all like, because Anthony yeah.
1: Richardson was dancing.
2: Oh, that's even more hilarious. Oh, you just I, Scott, I need I'm you follow me on Twitter. I, I I just need you to go to my retweets after the Florida game of all the people <laughs> who were just like, you know, cussing out Grand Film, cussing out Mullen, fire mm-hmm. Mullen. What is Anthony Richardson doing? He's Ah, Like this, it was, yeah, it was, it was an amazing Sunday morning.
1: You, you, I mean, you just loved it for solely for the troll factor, which, oh, absolutely, uh, I appreciate. But, uh, you know, I, I, I look, uh, the troll factor is on me now. I mean, it's all, you know, uh, coming out, no monkey business. I hear a bunch, you know, uh, a lot of comments, yeah, I mean. (laughs) Uh, all kinds of fun stuff right now to to be a texas fan so i you know i wasn't even paying attention to the hateful uh you know uh, to, to the hateful uh florida stuff because i was so depressed about texas losing four straight so oh you know and,
2: and you can't forget the fact that the week after alabama's made number two in the country by the playoff committee they go out there and drop an absolute dud against lSU and almost get beat at home so i mean it, it was just it was a, it was a great setting it was an yeah. amazing
1: saturday i mean whatever you say i didn't like it but <laughs> uh you know i guess there's some silver lining there for uh for everyone but um uh is, is there anything else we need to hit on um uh week 10 or are we looking forward uh how, how did we do
0: i guess nick uh, in week 10
1: how how was our uh, our how were our picks overall this
0: week uh it was a, a similar week to a lot of you know the previous weeks we've had I feel like a a bit of a broken record are uh, against the spread projections finished below 500 again, uh, which is very disappointing. Of course, um, the totals continue to perform decently well. That's that's been a, a bright spot for us. Uh, we were basically the the inverse, uh, 25, 33, and 1 against the spread, 32, 25, and 1 on totals. Our, all three agree. We're 11 and 12, which, as sad as that's been, was a significant improvement over uh, <laughs> previous weeks. I think that brought our, because we had so many of them, it brought our uh, season uh, win percentage up about 10 percentage points, which is just uh, a bit embarrassing for, or just very embarrassing for that. But it is something we're going to continue to track and, and hopefully learn from it uh, looking ahead to the future. But I, I mentioned kind of in my my rambling earlier about week 10 that I've, I've kind of accepted that despite some uh, poor win, you know, the winning percentage against the spread. That's kind of the thing that I've been paying the closest attention to all year. Uh, It's been a disappointment, but perhaps I should shift my focus a little bit. And I've talked about absolute error before, and our numbers are actually pretty good in, in a lot of respects as far as how far our projection differs from, one, the initial point spread We for the third straight week, uh, talking about week eleven, set a record for just the the narrowest margin between our projection and what the odds makers have at the time we publish uh, to our Patreon supporters. But also our absolute error, which is that same thing on the back end. How far did our projections differ from what the actual result was on the field? Our absolute error for the season is twelve point seven eight which if you uh, look at this year's uh, performance on the prediction tracker which has 54 different models including some of the uh big names in the space like espn's fpi uh, we would actually rank ninth in absolute error and that's that's actually the one if you just go to uh you know the the page on prediction tracker that's what it tracks first it doesn't track uh or isn't set to look at performance against the spread uh, because in some ways, you know, absolute error is actually a, a little bit better indicator of how close your projections are. Is, you know, how do they compare to the actual results? Uh, there are only eight models of the 54 that have a record above 500 against the spread, which is, you know, we've talked about this has just been a difficult year, kind of a strange year. Uh, and none of those models have a better absolute error than ours. So as disappointed as I've been that, you know, if we're looking at, at numbers against the spread, in some ways, our margin for error is so small uh, based on, you know, just how how we are, how close we are to the, uh, uh, you know, the Vegas Insider consensus point spread is, is what we grade against each week. One, there's just a lot of coin flips there, a lot of, you know, yeah, we might have a difference of. You know, 0.2 percentage points or 0.8 percentage points. And in some ways it's just, it can be luck on which side of, or the other we fall on. And it's just that, yeah, our, our projection is basically the same as, uh, what Vegas has it. But, uh, you know, in some ways looking at that absolute error number, uh, we rank pretty well. So though I've been disappointed, I'm, I'm trying to change my outlook a little bit <laughs> to, to think that, you know what, we're not, terrible. I mean, the numbers uh, are not just the absolute worst. Yeah, they're the worst we've done in our history against the spread. Uh, but there are some factors and, and I haven't actually absolute error. Is something I just started tracking this year. I need to go back and run the numbers for previous years. I would actually be surprised if our absolute error from 2020, when we were 54% against the spread in all FBS versus FBS games, I'd be very surprised if we had a better absolute error last year than we did this year. That's a good uh, point. So I will i don't have those official numbers on me right now. I'll need to, to look at those in December or January uh, when I've got some time to, to go back through all our 2020 results. But I would be very surprised. I, I bet in some ways our numbers this year are, are better than what – previously was our, our very best year considered our best year. Uh, if you're just looking at against the spread results and yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of like a game where sometimes I talk about post game win expectancy and, Oh, this team had a 75% chance, but they lost the game. Um, you know, if you're talking about uh, betting specifically, but if you're grading against the spread, it's, it's black and white, it's a win or it's a loss. Uh, but, you know, try to be a process centered person. Uh, uh, whatever you call us, let's <laughs> see if you want edge. We try to be a uh, process centered and, and, you know, make sure the uh, the process is correct beyond just whether or not the result ended up uh, well, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe a silver lining, maybe just trying to make myself feel better. But uh, that absolute error number is something probably should be proud of. Hopefully it'll continue. Uh, but regardless, I mean, looking ahead to, to week 11, again, the closest, Uh, margin between our projections and that Vegas Insider consensus uh, point spread as of uh, Tuesday afternoon. 1.86 is the difference this week. So for the third straight week in a row uh, under uh, two points and and our lowest uh, on record. So in some ways that's really good, but it's really difficult to win when the the margins are that uh, thin
1: yeah uh, which is very understandable. uh should we move forward to week eleven boys uh i'm I'm ready to put week ten behind us and never talk at it uh never talk about it again. So let's go on to week eleven and Nick, uh what week eleven lines have you the most confused because i I feel like there are some this week uh well, what do you think
0: yeah and and none that I have. Too many wide ranging thoughts on Uh, the first that when it it was very first posted just struck me as I think I think that's wrong. (laughs) Like (laughs) I just I think that uh, and Circa is always the one we look at first. They're the ones that post earliest on Sunday, but they actually had North Texas favored against UTEP and North Texas is playing better in recent weeks than they had uh, coming in and and UTEP uh, lost by a big margin against UTSA, uh, but, you know, and probably isn't as good as their record would indicate, but UTEP's already bowl eligible. They've made a lot of strides and I think UTEP's a better team. Our numbers think UTEP is a better team. So I was really surprised that North Texas opened as a favorite at Circa. I think most other places UTEP opened as a one point favorite and that line has since moved. Uh, to where UTEP is favored, uh, it was UTEP minus one in the official uh, projection that that we did, and we have UTEP favored by uh, about three and a half. Uh, but that one that one surprised me a little bit, and then two that are just kind of interesting that the number. Uh, since it opened, has bounced around a little bit for both Boston College at Georgia Tech and Missouri at South Carolina. Uh, so those those are kind of interesting. Boston College has a lot of injury issues. Um, some guys on defense are out. Uh, they of course got Phil Drakovic back starting quarterback this past week, which is a big uh step in the right direction. But you know, Missouri similarly has got a quarterback issue. Uh, South Carolina's on their third quarterback of the season, the last week, it, it uh, seemed to be a positive, perhaps. Um, but both of those, all three of those lines are right around even. Uh, and at different points in the week, one team has been favored uh, compared to the other. Um, but just just a few that are a little bit interesting. But the, the one that most confused me was that UTEP uh, being an underdog. To start, and they certainly might lose. Uh, but I, I think that UTEP is uh, the better team, probably should be favored. Another one we don't really have to get into because the game was canceled and, and rescheduled, but USC versus Cal, our projections had that uh, basically as a toss up. Um, and before we went through and, and went kind of player by player on the Cal guys who were expected to miss because they sat out last week um, due to the the COVID protocols that, that are uh, ongoing there in Berkeley. Um, I was surprised even though USC struggled that Cal coming off a loss to Arizona and shorthanded, uh, we had as within one point of USC and the, you know, the, the Vegas point spread wasn't that far different either. So, um, that one will delay a few weeks, and and then hopefully Cal will be able to get back up to full speed, and uh, that'll be a, a, an interesting game. But uh, that one confused me a little bit as to where our projection spit out that that uh, USC was basically in a, a toss up with Cal. I thought for sure they'd be favored by a field goal or more.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, looking at any time you lost, you lose to U of A, who won for the first time in twenty games. I think that that
2: was fairly surprising as well.
1: Xavier, when you look at the lines for week 11, what stands out to you as what is going on with this?
2: Yeah, so I've got a couple here, two in the SEC. Uh, First one is LSU-Arkansas. I think Arkansas only being a a two-and-a-half point favorite is giving a little bit too much credit to an LSU team that has yet to put together really two consistent weeks over the last month and some change. Uh, I think, you know, they still struggle offensively to make anything work when the running game isn't going. They're playing an Arkansas team that is battle tested. Uh, and it's, I think found their identity a little bit after, ever since the uh, the old Miss loss that they had a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and another one in the SEC has got to be South Carolina and Missouri. I think when you're talking about that game, South Carolina's coming off of a massive win. I think Missouri still has yet to really find its footing. Missouri also I, I'm not comfortable with what's going on at that quarterback situation whatsoever. They switched quarterbacks in the Georgia game just to, you know, just as a note where South Carolina, even though, yes, they may played a line, Florida, who was missing, I think 24 people due, due to the flu still looks like they, you know, have a little bit of more, uh, have more of an identity than Missouri has. Uh, and, and it, has at least a quarterback to hang their head on it coming into this week. Uh, so I like South Carolina in that game much more. Also South Carolina wins their bowl eligible, which would be you know awesome for what they look like. They were starting off and uh, this season for, uh, for Shane. So I, I think that, that, I think that game's a little bit too close uh, for me in that, in that, in that regard.
1: Uh, all right. So let, let's go over to, which week eleven games show the biggest edge in your model, Nick? And is uh, you know uh, we're we're trending more towards this being a good thing. So <laughs> uh, I mean, you still have it on the sheet. Is that a good or a bad thing? Uh, just because of your negativity for the twenty twenty one, which is understandable. But w- what do you think this week?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a decent uh, you know, even though we we lost the only one uh, last. W- oh no, excuse me, we split the the Navy uh, Notre Dame, Notre Dame was able to, to cover that at the end. So, um, we were one and one last week. So we're now 61 and 53 for the season. That's over 53%. So this has been a, a rare bright spot for us is when, uh, we've got, a, an edge or, or at least a, a projection that is five points or more different than, uh, the point spread. And, you know, five is a big number. And, and in some cases, you know, is it a good thing? Or is it a bad thing? Is it good that we found something that the odds makers or the market didn't? Or is it bad because we're just obviously wrong? Why in the world would you be that far (laughs) off? And and so, you know, it's it's worth considering. But at least so far this year, it's been a good thing. In in years past, and we've done a lot of work to uh, try to, uh, you know, fix mistakes that might have led to some big uh, differences, you know, being a bad sign um it's good to see that that at least so far this year does seem to be working a little bit uh, but this week our two biggest both over six percent or uh, over six point difference northwestern plus 25 at Wisconsin I I kind of like that one even though Northwestern has been bad and Wisconsin uh in the past month or so has has really really turned it on and been an impressive team um you know 25 points against Northwestern is a lot we talked plenty about how Northwestern can muddy up a game, slow it down, keep things close, try to keep it to within one possession in the fourth quarter. Wisconsin plays that way too, uh, but they're coming off a game where they've won, what, 52 to three against Rutgers. So they're certainly capable of blowing out Northwestern. Um, but I think that 25 points uh, to me does seem like a lot. And our projection has it, um, you know, 18 and a half, uh, something along those lines. So I feel decent about that. Certainly not a lock by any stretch, but uh, I think we're on the right side at Northwestern plus 25, or at least the side I feel more comfortable being on Uh, the other little bit, little bit different. Coastal Carolina is currently a 10 point favorite or they were on Tuesday when uh, we made our official uh, projections We have them as a 16-point favorite, 16.09, in fact, against Georgia State. Um, I I feel less good about that because uh, partly, you know, Coastal Carolina is a little bit, still a little bit inflated in our projections just because their team performance numbers have been so good. Uh, They're 14th in team performance, 6th on offense, but they rank among the nation's uh, leaders in a lot of the important stats that we look at on the offensive side, they've just at times been dominant. Uh, But of course, Grayson McCall is out. So starting quarterback, who's been uh, a big part of those, you know, top team performance uh, ratings, he's not going to play. And our, our model does take that into account. It takes into account his, you know, him not being there, the impact on roster strength, but it doesn't discount those team performance ratings because he's out. So, um, you know, if we were able to do that, it, it probably would bring this down a little closer. But his injury is, I think, so impactful because he's been so good for Coastal Carolina uh, that I I don't have, you know, the confidence that that uh, this is a game that they'll win by double digits. Again, they certainly could if if the running game is able to, uh, you know, perform at a, a high level. If, uh, you know, they do have experience As a a backup quarterback there, maybe they can get Javion Hiley and Isaiah Likely a little more involved than they did last week, but Coastal Carolina plays at a pretty slow uh, pace. They've been so explosive that it's kind of overshadowed that a little bit, but without Grayson McCall probably not going to be quite as explosive, and, and I think that this has a chance to be a pretty low scoring game, and, and in lower scoring games, it's difficult to win by two touchdowns or more, so uh, I have more confidence in Northwestern, Coastal Carolina, you know, we'll see, uh, I think they might be a little bit overinflated in our model, um, but at least as far as the numbers go, those are our two biggest uh, edges of of the week. All right, let's step
1: into week 11 here and uh, get some of these breakdowns. And uh, we got Nick's games first. And uh, I love that you picked this one. I almost picked this one. And I went, that's ah, like the last game of the night on. Uh, I, maybe I'm going to be the only one watching it, uh, you know. Uh, but I like that you picked it. It's uh, Nevada at San Diego State. San Diego State is a two and a half point favorite. 45 and a half is the over here, Nick. And what do you see in this game? And what do you like?
0: Yeah, so I, I watch a lot of uh, San Diego State, Nevada games, Mountain West, always on those uh, late FS1, sometimes FS2 uh, kickoffs, Hawaii if they're at home. Uh, so you know, I, I I think there are others like us who uh, do uh, watch as, as late as we possibly can. West coasters. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, even when I was on the the East coast, but it has been, it has been easier on me on Sunday being out here. I'll, I'll I'll admit. Uh, but this is a, you know, San Diego state is ranked in the CFP rankings, Nevada seven and two, uh, only one loss in conference play. So they're very much, alive in uh the western division of of Mountain West Conference. Uh it's a pretty tight division and, and you know this game is going to go a long way to deciding who is going to uh make it through to the conference championship game. One of the you know one of the bright spots for us. Uh, a lot of our preseason uh season long projections and win totals conference championships and things like that uh, are looking decent. Don't have any, any final numbers yet, of course. Um, But one of the things we talked about in the preseason was Nevada, maybe being a legitimate mountain West uh, championship type team. And this is going to be their toughest test, arguably of that yet. Of course, yes, they did lose to Fresno state, uh, but San Diego state, one of the top defenses, in the country, they rank third in defensive team performance, third against the pass, fourth against the run. Uh, so that Nevada offense, which has been, uh, you know, statistically not quite as good as maybe we might expect, but still has huge, huge potential. They only rank 55th in offensive team performance. They're 32nd in, in passing team performance, 110th rushing. But, you know, they, they can run the football. Toa uh Devonte Lee, pretty good uh, one-two combo there. Romeo Dubs, one of the best receivers uh, in the Mountain West for sure. Um, and you know, I think Cole Turner is the best tight end in college football. Unfortunately, he suffered a what appeared to be a concussion, uh, just a, a pretty ugly helmet-to-helmet hit in the back of his head uh, last game against San Jose State. He's questionable. It sounds like he was, you know, looking pretty good after the game. So uh, we'll we'll have to see if he's able to play. But you know, Carson Strong is a uh, aptly named strong arm quarterback um, who you know has gotten a lot of NFL buzz. So this offense is is got the potential to really challenge that San Diego State defense, even if you know they're not quite putting up the. Uh, huge numbers that we would have expected week in and week out. And then kind of similarly, the Nevada defense, you know, they they struggle against the run. They rank 117th in uh, rushing team performance, 40th against the pass, but they've been pretty good, uh, especially in recent weeks, causing turnovers. And they've got a, a defensive line that only ranks 80th in our defensive line team performance but Tristan Nichols has been ranked among the nation's leaders in sacks uh, pretty much all season. Sam Hammond and Don Peterson are all-conference performers on the defensive line. Lawson Hall uh, was an all-conference linebacker. So similarly, you know they haven't quite played up to their full potential on either side of the ball, but they've got you know some of the best players at their respective positions uh, in the Mountain West in a lot of different spots across the roster. San Diego State, Offensively, certainly nothing special. They're ninety eighth in offensive team performance, and it's because they're among the worst teams in the country throwing the football. They've played multiple quarterbacks this year. Lucas Johnson, who's a transfer from Georgia Tech, an option quarterback at Georgia Tech when he was recruited there, uh, has come over and and you know seems to have solidified himself as the starter. but they hand the ball to Greg Bell a lot, you know, assuming he's fully healthy, he's been banged up at times this year. They do have some receivers capable of making plays, guys like Tyrell Shavers, who's been, uh, you know, on the roster at Alabama and Mississippi State, uh, a tight end, and Daniel Bellinger. Uh, Jesse Matthews has had, you know, some good games here and there. Elijah Cofey's had some good games here or there, but they just haven't really been consistent and haven't really challenged teams too much through the air. I mean, they rank 116th in the country in yards per pass attempt against FBS opponents. They are, you know, 112th in yards per play against FBS opponents, 108th in success rate. Uh, that's filtered for garbage time, 96th in EPA per play, 98th in points per drive. So, uh, you know, you would expect this will be a low scoring game. They play field position with one of the greatest punters we've seen in maybe a generation and Matt Areza, who is just putting up. You know, eighty-yard punts. It seems like on a weekly basis, uh, he's getting more and more you know interest and in kind of turning into a little bit of a folk hero uh, on Twitter, at least among you know people who think punting is interesting. Uh, but he's been he's been great, and he's he's you know going to probably play a long time in the NFL. You uh, also I mean, whether you like it or not, it's part of the game. Sure, sure, and and you know, I mean, there's just certain corners of you know, I guess the people that I follow at least who. Uh, it's uh, in some ways a Appreciate little bit of a bit uh, where they just, you know, talk punning. uh but he's been amazing. And he also kicks field goals for them. He's, he's one of us, especially he's going to win the Ray guy award going to set some NCAA records probably. Uh, and he's a weapon for San Diego state who just likes to, you know, play good defense, run the football, shorten the game. And they're probably going to try to keep the ball out of Carson Strong's hands. And so it's, it's going to be a, Uh, you know, tight matchup, pretty low scoring. Uh, it's one of those where our projection, you know, struggles to get to uh, totals under 50. And uh, this one was listed at 46 and a half when we posted it. Uh, we we expect a 26 24 game. San Diego State is favored according to our model, but you know, the point spread was two. When we released it and our projections, 1.62. So it's one of those where, you know, margin of error, we could very easily, uh, you know, have that 0.38 edge on the other side. And, and it just sort of is lucky one way or the other uh, where we fall. But, you know, we think that at least our, our projections expect Nevada to be in this game. I certainly think they could win. San Diego State doesn't have a whole lot of home field advantage. I mean, they play like an hour away from campus anyway. Uh, so that's a little bit, you know, less of a factor. Maybe, maybe that is something that we could put as an advantage for Nevada, you know, is is that the home field advantage is not quite maybe worth that full two and a half points that we do give uh for for San Diego State's home field advantage. Uh, but it's it should be a fun game and it will be in a you know much smaller window where we'll have an opportunity to to pay more attention. The casual college football fan will have more opportunity to pay closer attention to Nevada and San Diego state than maybe they, they usually would. Um, But uh, you know, should be a close one, should be well-played and and excited to see if Nevada can pull off the upset because do have a Nevada, you know, Mountain West champion future. Uh, If they win this game, put themselves in a pretty good position, uh to get to that conference championship game. So we'll be rooting for Nevada for multiple reasons.
1: Xavier, so, I mean, you're a night owl. You're gonna be up watching this game sure. and you have any punter takes here for right. us? What do you got?
2: I mean I love punters. Uh you know I, I'm one of my favorite punters I'm I actually reached out to Presley Harvin who was the punter at Georgia oh. Tech, the big yeah uh um, yeah love love him. Uh like yeah, him a like. lot great guy punt. as well.
1: He had a terrible punt on Monday Night Football fall by an amazing punt. So mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, it does mm-hmm. seem like his jersey's getting bigger
0: every single week because you know he's drafted by Pittsburgh. So well, yeah, uh, you know, I'm
1: watching him on a weekly basis now.
0: So also famous for just throwing an absolute bomb for a touchdown yeah. against Miami. Guy's right. got a cannon yeah. for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, love punters. Um, I I I should stay up and watch this game. I absolutely should. I also I always end up finding myself watching, like, a Pac-12 matchup as I fall asleep. So maybe this time I'll switch over from, like, you know, Arizona State versus I think it's Washington, I think, this week or something or other. So I'll switch over and watch this one. It'll probably be more intriguing anyways. Um, I like this game a lot because I think it's a contrast of both teams, as as Nick was alluding to. You know, you got to have Carson Strong, who last week's game against San, San Jose State actually proved a lot for me for Nevada going into this game. Carson Strong didn't have the greatest of nights. Uh, through had to throw fifty four times for them to win that game through two interceptions, and they still walked away with a win over a good San Jose State team who obviously won the Mountain West last year. Um, and with Nick Stark with throwing for three touchdowns, so you know, and, and them running for a uh, hundred, you know, almost two hundred yards. Uh, San Jose State did so Nevada showed me last week that they have a very bend, don't break defense. Um, and that may, you know, loom large going into this game this week. As Carson Strong, as good as he has been this year, he hasn't had one of those games, right? He hasn't had a game for me that this year where I'm like, that's why he deserves to get drafted in the first round just yet, right? So he's had a lot of two touchdown, one INT games. And that's for San Diego State this year. It's going to be very opportunistic football in which they try to play with Carson Strong. This is a guy who trusts his arm. This is a guy who maybe trusts his arm a little bit too much. Um, he's got really great arm talent. He's not the most mobile. So if you can get him off of his spot, he becomes inaccurate. And, at, and you know, if San Diego's By that,
0: you mean not at all mobile. <laughs> I mean he's
2: <laughs> a bit of oh, yeah, a statue. No.
0: Sorry, sorry to uh, Oh no 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 no. he is absolutely there, a statue. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing I
2: said about Spencer Peters last week. He is a totem pole. He is just back <laughs> there to-
1: You said that and then Pe- Petrus got benched. Like yeah, he was yeah. awful. God See? awful.
2: Ever. Yeah, so. So, you know, Carson Strong, you know, Nick was saying that, you know, San Diego State's going to want to keep him off the field. Well, the best way to do that is to pick him off as well. So, you know, I I think that, you know, I'm going with San Diego State here because for me, Nevada's offense just hasn't clicked like we all maybe thought it would uh, in every game this year. They've had some halves where they just are non-existent. Heck, in this past game against San Jose State, they put up seven points in the first quarter and didn't score again until the third. I think when you talk about a San Diego State team who understands their identity, they're going to just keep the ball on the ground all night. And I don't know if Nevada can stop that. I'll be honest with you. And those body blows in the first and second quarter, I don't know. You know, I, I think they'll come to fruition in the third and fourth when San Diego State continues to run the ball, continues to run the ball. And they really don't deviate from that. You know, When you have an amazing quarterback, one of the blessings of that is obviously having a really good quarterback. One of the downfalls of that is typically you have faster drives because you can't run the football. And that means you have fast drives scoring and not scoring, which means – that defense, regardless of whether they score or not, is back on the field. You know, this is a game that I can easily see San Diego State with over half of the you know half of the game possession, time of possession. I wouldn't be surprised if we come in if we you know we come back next week and we see you know thirty five minutes of possession for San Diego State or thirty you know thirty ish minutes because of the fact that Nevada's offense is you know designed to score and score quickly with all of the options that he has on the outside with Cole Turner, with Romeo Dubs and, and company. So. I like San Diego State coming into this game. If, if Nevada wins this game, it'll be because Carson Strong has has one of those games where all of the quarterback gurus, all of the draft analysts go back to this film as to why he should be you know, a top 15, a top 20 guy because he threw three touchdowns, 300 plus yards, and threw over 60% completion percentage. He just hasn't done that yet this year, uh, and most importantly, no interceptions. He just hasn't done that yet this season, and that's why I'm going to pick San Diego State because I'm not sure if Carson Strong has that game in him this season.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. We'll see. But uh, the next game we have here, um, another uh, Nick-selected game, NC State at Wake Forest. Wake Forest is a one-and-a-half-point favorite, 66-and-a-half, the highest over of the games that we picked. I mean, it has nothing on the Thursday night game. The pit in UNC, I believe, is 74 and a half or something and probably climbing after what we saw last week. But uh, what do you think of this game here, Nick?
2: Yeah, this this one
0: intrigued me for a lot of reasons. And, of course, we talked about North Carolina and Wake Forest uh, last week. And, and I mentioned in our preview that I wish we had been on the other side. It was another uh, you know, close projection where – uh, we had more than a point difference, but I still felt like, OK, you know, we're, we're uh, right there with how the odds makers, how the market sees this game. It's just a little bit of, you know, which side uh, does our number fall on? And, and I felt like we were, uh, you know, I, I was on the less confident side. I, I mentioned wanting to be on North Carolina for three quarters. It looked like, uh, you know, that that expectation had been wrong and, and Wake Forest was going to be able to get it done, but they allowed, you know, fifty-eight points and a big fourth quarter comeback for North Carolina and end up, you know, getting their first loss of the season. I see this game somewhat similarly, uh, although I, I feel like we're on the right side this time. I I uh, you know our projection actually has NC State favored to win Outright, And I think that that, uh, you know, I'd prefer to be there than on Wake Forest to cover. So, uh, you know, I, I I still think Wake Forest is a good team. I think they have, um, you know, played really, really well, explosive on offense. Of course, uh, Sam Hartman continues to put up huge numbers. Ja'Cory Roberson is a really, really solid receiver. A.T. Perry has been, uh, you know, big time. A uh, big play guy, big target, uh, has had a great season. The offensive line's played in the top 20 level, according to our O-line team performance. Uh, they're number two in offensive team performance, number three in passing team performance. They did suffer what looked like a pretty significant injury uh, at running back. Christian Smith was carted off last week. Our projection currently doesn't expect him to play. Uh, that might change if, if we hear... Uh, that it wasn't as bad as, as it looked during the game. But um, I haven't heard anything to, to contradict that quite yet. So it looks like we're going to see a, a pretty, you know, a 10-point difference, basically, a 10-point drop-off uh, from the individual player rating from Christian Bill Smith to Christian Turner and Justin Ellison, who are the, uh, you know, number two and 2A, and two basically, uh, behind Bill Smith there. But, you know, Wake Forest should be able to challenge NC State's defense. I mean, they've uh, been able to put up points, you know, just about every week. They've been statistically one of the best teams in the country. But this is a really good NC State defense. They rank ninth in defensive team performance, number three against the run. uh, Not as much of an issue because, you know, Wake Forest, uh, you know, in addition to just being a little bit more pass heavy is, is dealing with the injury at running back but they're playing at a top 20 level against the pass as well. So that NC State defense that's had its fair share, more than its fair share of injuries, uh, With uh, I've got you know three starters at least out for the year. Uh, Peyton Wilson, Isaiah Moore, both linebackers who are 100-rated players in our uh, player ratings, max-rated players, uh, have been out for a while, won't play this week. Uh, and then they've been hit hard in the secondary as well. Uh, with a couple of safeties and a nickelback going down and, and missing significant time. So, you know, despite that, they've been able to put up really, really solid numbers defensively in a lot of the important categories we look at, including top five in success rate, top 15 in points per drive, uh, yards per pass attempt, and EPA per play, and then top 25 in yards per play allowed, all those against only FBS opponents and, and filtered for garbage time when we can. Uh, but they've got a pretty solid defense or excuse me, pretty solid offense as well. And Devin Leary has quietly put up just great, great numbers uh, at quarterback for NC State. They've got one of the best running back duos in the country and Zonovan Knight and Ricky Person. Um, they've got some playmakers at receiver and uh, Emeka Amezi, Thayer Thomas. Um, this past week, CJ Riley had a, a big game. So, you know, they, they've got players all over the field. They've got a top 20 roster uh, in roster strength. They rank 20th overall, 18th on offense, 21st on defense. You compare that to Wake Forest, as good as they've been, uh, they've got a talent profile that's you know just a, a full tier, at least below. They rank 42nd in overall roster strength, 45th on offense, 45th on defense. Wake Forest has also really struggled at times defensively. They rank 85th in defensive team performance, 81st against the pass, and 108th against the run. So uh, we're talking about a team that ranks 118th in success rate, 108th in EPA per play, and no better than 70th in any of the five important categories that we look at. And, and they've got some individual players. Travion Red has had a really, really good year uh, in the secondary for them. They've got you know guys like Ja'Cory Johns. Uh, Luke Masterson has had some big moments uh, but they just, as a unit, haven't quite delivered, you know, that standout performance uh, week in or week out. And we see that, yeah, they've been able to give up 58, uh, 55 points, uh, or excuse me, give up 58 points and have a chance to win. But they they gave up those 58 points. And then against Army, they gave up a bunch of points. You know, I mean, they're there. Uh, they've struggled at times. And this NC State team might be the best team They've played this year. I mean, they they played a, a pretty good Virginia squad, and North Carolina has had its moments. is certainly uh, you know just as talented, if not more so, than NC State. But you know, all preseason and, and leading up in the early weeks of the season, we had NC State as a clear favorite in this game. We still do have them favored, but it's it's close to less than one point. But had you know, we just looked uh, uh, in in August and not paid attention to Wake Forest's record uh, through the first few months of the season, you know, nobody would have been surprised to learn that we would have NC State favored. So uh, this is a game that I think they certainly could win. Wake Forest has, has in most cases, played well enough, you know, to get wins, including some games where the post-game numbers uh, didn't look so good. You know, they were fortunate to beat Louisville, fortunate to beat Syracuse, um, but... You know, they they've had a great run, but it seems like that North Carolina loss was the first of at least two, maybe three with Clemson being on uh, on deck next week. So North Carolina's had a great season to date. I think they've been a little bit uh, inflated and, and kind of that North Carolina loss. Uh, they were they were due. And this NC State team is, is a very, very solid team. After this week they've got Syracuse they've got a rivalry game against North Carolina to finish this could be a 10 11 win team and, and I think that would be uh, you know deserved if they were able to get there they've they've only had one win with uh, below a, a 50% uh, post game win expectancy so uh, this is this is a solid NC state team and I I compared to last week am glad to be on the side that we are uh with them not only you know favored to cover uh a, a small point spread but actually to uh you know be favored to, to win outright so uh happy we're on the nc state side might not work out doesn't always uh but i i think that you know i feel pretty good about about having uh nc state is the wrong team favorite in this one xavier how do you see this game playing out because i you know
1: it could go many ways, as Nick alluded to, but uh, the, I'm I'm sure you have it uh, playing out a certain way in your head. And how do you see that going?
2: Yeah, I, I see this two different extremes here. You have NC State, which I feel like is a very balanced team. And then you have Wake Forest, which I think has a maybe a higher ceiling but not nearly as balanced as what you're talking about from an NC State perspective. Obviously, Nick ran through the numbers. I think that that's what's going to ultimately win NC State this ballgame is that they're more balanced on both sides of the football. Yes, Wake Forest is one of the most explosive offenses in college football right now. Sam Hartman is a guy who, I mean, shooting up draft boards left, right, and center, even after last week's loss. Um, But, you know, that's it. Their offense has been what's carried them up into this point. I mean, you know, back to back weeks they put up a hundred points, or the, the opposing team put up hundred points combined in back to back weeks. That's unacceptable, right? You won't see. You know, luckily for the defensive coordinator this week, he won't have to watch Sam Howell run as well as he did this past weekend. Uh, I don't think Devin Leary is. Yeah, I don't think Devin Leary is going to pull it like like Sam Howell was doing, but. Who's to say he won't? I couldn't – you wouldn't tell me coming to this game that Sam Howell would only have one touchdown throwing in, in North Carolina would have won that ball game. There's just no way, um, you know, against that team. And you would have thought that maybe Wake Forest got some stops here and there. Not the case, you know. And what also concerned me more so was that is the offense was really good and gave them a, a more than significant uh, – or a lead that should have sufficed for them to win this ball game, Right. They, they had UNC down by two scores and should have had an opportunity to just walk away with this game, you know, a typical team at that point, especially one that you feel like has played this well up to the point to earn the ninth spot in the country, would have just said, okay, you're a 4-4 ball club. It's cute that you wanted to hang around. Let's go ahead and finish this game off and let's get to 9 and up." Uh, You know, the contrary happened and they allowed UNC to come back, hang around, and, and ultimately win the ball game at the end there. And for me, that shows that Wake Forest's defense is not only, you know, underwhelming, but they can't get a stop when they need to. You know, on the flip side of that, NC State this past weekend didn't play the greatest game against Florida State. You know, they, they let Florida State hang around a little bit. They let Florida State compete with them uh, pretty much for three quarters, right? And but NC state, when they needed to buckle down, they did so. And their defense got stops when they needed to. They had, they put together drives in the third and fourth quarter when they needed to, you know and i saying? Extend the lead past the point where uh, Florida state could do, uh, could come back. And that shows me more of a team that understands their identity that can, act, you know, and can win a game that they're supposed to win. Right. So I like NC state going into this week, um, you know, I like Devin Leary. He's, you know, starting to come, turn a corner, which I really enjoy him doing. I think they're going to be able to run the football all over Wake Forest. They're going to be able to keep them off of the field this week, which is going to be very, very important. Nick just alluded to that with the San Diego State matchup against Nevada. But I think you're going to also see it in this game that NC State's going to put a priority on keeping Sam Hartman in that offense off of the field. And to be perfectly honest with you, I want to see what Wake Forest does in a bounce back situation. You know, this is their first loss of the year. Now they comp- Now they're not playing just a UNC team, now they're playing a team that a lot of people feel like could absolutely win this game. And yes, it would be deemed an upset, but I want to see how you bounce back against somebody who's, you know, you're equal now. You know, this isn't an underdog type situation from UNC. This is a game that even if you had to beat, you know, uh, UNC last week, people would be looking at, this is going to be a big game against NC State coming up in the next week, even if they had one. So I, will, I would like to see how they bounce back. I want to see, you know, what they do now after picking up their first loss. We've seen some teams this year that are even, that are great, like in Ole Miss, like in Arkansas. After they pick up that first loss, they fall down a hill a little bit. So let's see if they're able to, you know, hold on, you know, hold the rope is what we used to call it in high school. But if they're able to hold on and, and right the ship and be able to get a big win and kind of salvage, you know, what, what has been a really, really good season for them. It's only one loss up until this point, but not let like this one loss, this one upset, you know. And essentially, their you know playoff hopes go away. Allow that to turn into two and three losses, where you're thinking, what happened, right? Where where, where did this where did this eight and no team go when they went from eight and no? Now they're nine and three. You know, kind of what we saw four or five years ago with uh, with Louisville and Lamar Jackson after they lost their undefeated season. They lost like three of their last four down the stretch. And we all wondered what happened. So I would like to see what happens from this Wake Forest team. I think NC State wins this game though. I um, mean, we see Way Forest begin a little bit of a slide, not a crazy slide, but a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is definitely an interesting game and a good one. that Nick picked. Uh, I, I want to know where you guys are going in this next one. I got a big 12 matchup here. Baylor on the road against Oklahoma, o- OU five and a half point favorite. 62 and a half is the over in this game. I-, I think it's pretty clear that Baylor was overlooking TCU to get to Oklahoma. So I expect them to compete in this game, even coming off of that loss. Weird loss. Just fired their head coach. First time starter in Chandler Morris. All that stuff. Uh, OU keeps winning ugly but wins are wins which is why they're lower in the cfp ratings than they are in the ap poll but how do you see this game going nick
0: well i'd I'd probably push back a little bit on uh baylor overlooking tcu i mean that's a that's a big rivalry game and i think there was you know it's it's always very difficult to quantify motivation but uh we've seen you know, anecdotally, I guess, uh, I haven't actually gone back and, and looked exactly at the the win loss uh, or against the spread. But it seems like we've we've had some real bounce back performances from teams the first week after their coach gets fired. From there, it, it can uh, tail off, certainly. But I know, you know, Georgia Southern played one of its best games the week after its coach was fired. Uh, Washington State had a big uh, game afterwards. And, and you know, UConn week, win. Uh, I don't know if that was immediately at least, after, at least but played, they, they played, played better. Since. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so a lot of these teams, at least in a short time period, it doesn't always last, but, uh, you know, bounce back and, and put together a pretty good game in that, that first game after. So, you know, I, 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 I don't know that Baylor was necessarily looking ahead, but it was a big missed opportunity for sure. And a pretty impactful loss because, you know, now they're going to have to uh, one, pull off an upset against Oklahoma to get back in the Big 12 uh, championship picture, um, but also, you know, take care of business down the stretch in a couple of winnable games. Uh, you know, Oklahoma a team we've talked about plenty. Uh, our ratings were really, really high on Oklahoma coming into the season. They've still, you know, maintained a, a pretty high uh, spot in our power rankings. They are number five overall. A lot of that has to do with the talent. They're fourth in overall roster strength, fourth on offense, fifth on defense. Uh, the offense has certainly improved since Caleb Williams. The team as a whole has improved since Caleb Williams took over as a starting quarterback a few weeks back. Uh, but they're playing like a top 10 offense. Uh, they're third in yards per play against FBS bonus, third in points per drive, number two success rate, number five EPA per play. They're ninth overall in our offensive team performance numbers, number 10 in passing team performance. Uh, they've been really, really thin at the running back position, but Kennedy Brooks has played relatively well. Uh, Eric Gray's been a little bit of a disappointment, and then other guys uh, lower on the list. They've had some transfers, some injuries, that, that sort of thing. Uh, but this is still an offense capable of putting up really, really solid numbers, and they have, and, and they've taken things to another level. With Caleb Williams, who has helped a little bit uh, with some rushing production, uh, also that can help create you know some more uh, passing lanes as well when teams have to uh, fear the quarterback run. So I think offense, excuse me, I think Oklahoma is improving on that side of the ball. Defensively, of, of course, has been an issue, and you know I mentioned their number five in defensive roster strength. I had much much higher expectations than uh, currently they're 76th in defensive team performance 109th against the pass Uh, they rank uh, 100th in yards per play allowed against fbs opponents 109th in yards per pass attempt 85th in points per drive 72nd success rate and 98th in epa per play defensively those are those are just bad numbers and i thought you know we'd seen some progress uh the past few years for oklahoma defensively And, you know, I thought for sure they'd turned it around. Xavier will not miss this opportunity to tell me uh, that he told me so, that that this Oklahoma defense wasn't that good. And, you know, I understand. But the numbers certainly haven't been, uh, you know, haven't been good this year. Part of that is injuries in the secondary. Their secondary is really, really thin, has been. Uh, They're relying on, you know, multiple true freshmen to play big time uh you know, snaps in that secondary because guys like uh, Woody Washington have been hurt, Jeremiah Cradell, uh, they've had you know injuries in the receiver position as well. so they're just not playing at at you know hundred percent, but it, it this this performance uh goes beyond just a couple of guys in the secondary not being able to to take the field it sounds like they're getting a little healthier. Woody Washington it sounds like is, uh you know got a chance to play maybe have to be out another week or more but uh delirium turner yell uh is back in the mix dj graham back in the mix um but regardless the secondary has been a major issue and the pass rush you know was among the best in college football in 2020 hasn't been that this year and the defensive line only ranks 58th in uh our defensive line team performance numbers they've been Better stopping the run than the pass, but uh, Baylor's going to have plenty of opportunities to attack Oklahoma. And so far this year, you know, Gary Bohannon's done a pretty good job of that. Guys like Tyquan Thornton uh, and RJ Sneed have performed really well. They found uh, some production at the tight end position from Ben Sims, which wasn't uh, wholly expected. So you know, Baylor is going to have opportunities. This Baylor offense has taken a big step forward this year. It was one of the worst in the country last season. And for you know them to be putting up a team performance rating, currently 12th in the country, including number eight uh, rushing, is you know a, a huge, huge step in the right direction. Abram Smith has been a real pre- uh, pleasant surprise at running back. He and in Ebner or a solid one-two punch. Ebner, of course, uh, gives them a weapon on special teams as well. Defensively, the numbers aren't spectacular. They're better than Oklahoma. Forty uh, fifth in defensive team performance. Forty third against the run. Seventy sixth against the pass. But they've got some playmakers. Guys like uh, Jalen Pritchey, uh, Terrell Bernard, Dylan Doyle. Uh, you know, JT Woods is, has made plays this year. That defensive line is playing like a top fifty unit, which still not you know spectacular, but a step in the right direction. So, uh, in in some respects. I was a little surprised that that our projections came out actually on the side of Baylor, and I think if I uh, were able to choose, you know, I, I think I'd rather uh, Oklahoma. You know, I, I think I would I would rather we were on Oklahoma to to you know win by a touchdown or more. Uh, as it comes, the numbers have Oklahoma favored by five, which uh, you know gives us. Uh, Baylor to cover that that five and a half. I just feel like this Oklahoma team is better than sort of what the season long numbers indicate, even though the defense has continued to struggle. You know, hopefully that'll turn around a little bit once that secondary starts to get back to full strength. I do think Caleb Williams has really made an impact. Uh, that that this team is now, though they're only you know still eighth in the, the playoff rankings, is like a top five level team. I think they will continue uh, to win enough to get into the, the college football playoff. And they're certainly capable of suffering a, a loss, whether it's this week, the next two games are really, really difficult. The big 12 championship game will be difficult. Uh, I don't have them favored. Our numbers don't have them favored by more than uh, five and a half points in, in any of those. But I, I do think that this Oklahoma team, after being, worse than our ratings would have suggested for maybe the first half of the season. Now I think they're just as good, if not a little bit better. And I think that Baylor though, they've you know been a, a big, big turnaround story and really impressive in a lot of ways. They've moved into the top 25 in our power ratings. Uh, I, I feel like maybe they're not quite as good as that seven and two record would indicate. And that might not be totally fair. I mean, last week, that TCU game was a toss up it was a rivalry game uh you know they've played really really well if you look at the post game numbers i mean 92% uh, against texas 95% That's against BYU.
1: <laughs> you understand that
0: right that, sure, that hey, the reason know? they lost it definitely because i picked them
1: last week 100%
0: understandable understandable uh it was a, a 50-50 toss up against iowa state and, and then a lot of hundreds in there as well, so it's not like their record is fluky in any way. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm just a little bit of a, a holdout as far as do I really believe Baylor is a top 25 team. Uh, so we're on Baylor to cover. We're on Oklahoma to win. I personally think Oklahoma will win by seven or 10 or, or something in that range. Uh, but the way our, uh, you know, current single game projection. Uh, shakes out. We've got it 32-28, Oklahoma getting the win. If it happens like that, I'll be ecstatic. But this feels like one where another tight projection, less than a point, to uh, you know the Vegas line. And for me, it just feels like we're slightly on the wrong side of it.
1: Xavier, uh, why does Baylor win this game? Because you hate Oklahoma almost as much as I, I do, I feel. But uh... – <sighs>
2: uh are you gonna actually
1: go with them this
2: time which is funny because i used to i I grew up like rooting for guys like adrian peterson um i want baylor to win this game so bad and if anything to get you up for this game if you're a baylor fan if you're a baylor player what happened the last time that they were in mclane stadium you had arguably the biggest lead you probably had over oklahoma in the last 20 years and you let it slip through with a fourth quarter comeback where they scored 17 points in that quarter alone Yeah. If you don't play up, if you're not playing up for this game, then you don't really care. I just, I just put it this way. Yes, Scott, you're absolutely right. They overlooked TCU to get to Oklahoma this week, but you're at home. You have an opportunity to knock off the number four team in the country. You know, uh, you have an opportunity here to really, you know, to make, you know, make the next two weeks of this season really hairy for Oklahoma, because at the end of the day, they still have to play Oklahoma state. And if they were to lose to Baylor, they may have a chance of missing out on the big 12 championship game if they were to pick up another loss in that time frame. So this is an opportunity to really get yourself back in a race that, you know, we thought you may be out of now with the loss of TCU. My only concern going into this game is what does Bohannon do in the passing game? You know, I went back, I tried to go back as far as I possibly could this season to find a good passing game from him. And it was tough. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I had to go four yeah. or five weeks back to find a game where I genuinely thought, okay, that's a game I can point to against that, you know, malign secondary that Nick was talking about where he actually played well. That game was October 9th against West Virginia. That was his best passing game, I think, I found the entire year against uh, an opponent that I thought was, you know, serviceable, right? He threw 336, four touchdowns, and he only took, and I was on 29 passes. It's a really good day at the office. Since then, it's been pedestrian at best. And that really concerns me going against an Oklahoma team where the the thing that you want to take advantage of is their secondary, right? That, you know, that, and and maybe you get the poor tackling that they, you know, that they showed in the Texas game. But, you know, I I think, you know, what's more, what's uh, more of a possibility is taking advantage of that secondary. And I'm not so sure that Baylor can do it with the way that their offense is currently built or the way that Bohannon has been playing up until this game. Maybe he decides to turn it around this game. Maybe you get one of those situations where he, you know, he plays his butt off because, you know, it's the biggest game of, you know, of the season for them so far. But, I'm not necessarily confident that that will happen. On the flip side, Caleb Williams has looked really good since taking the starting quarterback spot. Um, yeah, he, you know the, the defense hasn't looked great, but whenever has Oklahoma's defense ever been good in my lifetime? So that's that's not anything I should really pull from as it means you know to them not being able to win this ball game. At the end of the day, I, I do think Oklahoma's going to win. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> I, I think that they're able to pull it out. Caleb Williams, like I said, has just been really good. I mean, last week six touchdowns, 402 yards on only 30. Passes. He only had 70 completions and they were up by so much. They were able, you know, Spencer Rattler was able to put out some more film, which we didn't think was going to happen the rest of the year. So offensively, they're hitting on all cylinders now. And and even though the defense is like we said, it's bad. You know, uh, I think they as Oklahoma typically does, I think they're able to put just enough defense on display. To win a ball game, you know, I think they're just, you know, that that's that's Oklahoma's, you know, mo in the Big Twelve. Get like three stops in the second quarter, and we're good. Like that is how they've been able to to, to win Big Twelve championship after Big Twelve championship. I think that continues this week. I would love to see Baylor get 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 some comeuppance for you know, arguably, you know, for a win that they should have had two years ago. Uh, you know, but I do not think that's going to happen. I also kind of hate that this game's at noon on Saturday. I wish this was more of a primetime matchup. Uh, you know, I, I just think that it, it deserves that primetime slot. I wish it was uh, for that reason. But I got Oklahoma, much to my chagrin. Uh, and, and that's purely based off of the fact that I just I don't know if Baylor can actually take advantage of what Oklahoma does poorly, which is stop the pass.
1: Yeah. And that's uh, that that's the, the mismatch that you're looking for is, yeah. you know, one mismatch in this game and it's Oklahoma can't stop the pass, but Baylor can't pass very well. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I, I think Oklahoma
2: is unfortunately going to win. I, I
1: was more looking forward to you guys giving me a reason Baylor would win that game, but did nothing for me. I mean, so hey, thanks hey, guys. Appreciate
2: here. it here. I'll give you some silver lining. <laughs> maybe, maybe Baylor figures out that Oklahoma secondary is so bad that you know they can throw dump downs the entire game and they dip and dunk their way to a win i mean it would not be it would not be crazy to say bo figures it out passing against one of the worst secondaries in college football let's just, let's yeah, just put it down that right like, like it wouldn't be surprising if he was like all right cool these guys suck let me throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns right, right. so you know and I, and nick can correct me if i'm wrong but i'm not i would be remiss to think that oklahoma has been getting you know piles of pressure on this guy this year either. So, I, I you know, I, you know, my only concern is that – and even with that, even my concern there is does Bohannon even want to sit in the pocket enough to throw that ball that many times in a game, or does he decide hey, I, I can run it because he's just so much of a gifted athlete? Well,
0: right. I don't I don't think the Baylor's needed Bohannon to do very much recently I, because they've been so good uh, running the football. And then too. that's – you know, that has allowed them to be pretty explosive. I mean, you mentioned the, the last few games – Haven't been super impressive statistically, but he threw for 10.7 yards per attempt against TCU. I mean, that's you know, if if you did that for a full season, uh, you're going to rank top three in the country. Right. Uh, So that was also
1: playing from behind, which they they usually don't do.
0: Yeah. Uh. Well, I mean, well, but but I mean, it was, it was a, a close game games. the whole time. Yeah. So it's not like they changed. Uh, TCU their... came out firing, though. Sure, yeah. sure, but but still, I mean, the the fact remains: if 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 a quarterback can throw for ten yards per attempt in a game, to me, that's a good game. Yeah. Uh And you know, he, he might not get to three hundred yards. Uh, and he did throw two interceptions. He's thrown five. All five of his interceptions have come in the last three games. That is a mm-hmm. troubling trend. But he completed 70% of his passes last week. Uh, only, you know, once in that three-game stretch has he completed uh, fewer than 64% of his passes. And that game against Texas was not good. They still found a way to win that game. Uh, but against BYU, you know, modest, certainly not spectacular. But, again, Baylor is, is – run the ball well enough that they haven't needed him to go out and win a game. Will this be the game that they do need him to go out and and win it? And you think if you're looking for a reason why Baylor wins, maybe he will be able to do that because Oklahoma has struggled uh, specifically against the pass this year. But also I think it's worth pointing out that other than Oklahoma state uh, you know, uh, there's not very many, Great defenses statistically that that he's had to uh, you know play against this year. So you know I could I could make an argument that in some ways yeah his, his season long numbers have been pretty good uh, though not spectacular because they haven't needed to be. But I, I think the the bigger argument is there's not a, a whole lot of uh, you know other than again than that Oklahoma State game defenses that that have put up. Uh, a, a lot of resistance against him when he's needed to attack them through the air. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I, it's going to be a good
1: game. So uh, I, I hope that Baylor can pull it off, but not so hopeful for Baylor pulling it off. Um, next game. I just can't figure this one out at all. So you guys got to guide me here. Mississippi state at Auburn, Auburn is a five and a half point favorite. 50 is the over, but we've seen, We've seen Mississippi State win when they're not playing to their pace this year. We've seen Auburn, uh, you know, kind of be a roller coaster ride and go according to Bo Nix. So, what do you think in this game, Nick? Because it has me uh, confused for sure.
0: Uh, Mississippi State has been a team that's a little bit of a, a struggle for me to figure out. They've they've done some good things. I mean, they beat Kentucky and beat them uh, convincingly. They, you know, have played well in some close losses at times. I mean, they, they uh, were really unlucky to lose to Memphis, kind of a missed call, played a big role in them losing that game, but they also let Memphis, you know, kind of hang around. Last week against Arkansas had a, a big opportunity, you know, chance to win, weren't able to get that last uh, defensive stop uh, to, to, you know, pull ahead and, and, and or excuse me, to, to, to stay ahead and, and win that game. They're capable of, of going toe-to-toe with a team like Auburn, I think. Uh, they are not quite as talented player for player. They're 34th in roster strength uh, compared to Auburn, who's broken back into the top 10 uh, in overall roster strength, top 10 in all three categories, overall offense and defense. Uh, but Mississippi State you know, plays pretty tough defense. They rank 25th in defensive team performance. They're 21st in – Rushing team performance, uh, somewhat surprisingly, because we were expecting you know the the Mike Leach experience at Mississippi State to be uh, super high scoring games. They've really leaned on defense under his watch, and the offense has been you know not uh, explosive. Not by the way, you know, the, super- the
1: Mike Leach experience sounds like the worst
0: ride. At any amusement park <laughs> ever. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, but you know, offensive team performance, they rank 39th. Passing team performance, they rank 39th. Even though the raw passing numbers are high and Will Rogers has thrown for a ton of yards, you know, they're they're not super efficient, even in the areas where you would expect them to uh really excel and throwing the football. You know, the run game is has maybe not been quite as bad as we might have expected. You know, a lot of the raw numbers uh, there, you know, can be triple digits, and in, in uh, a lot of rushing categories, some of the ones that we pay closer attention to and, and uh, carry a heavier weight, they rank 78th in our rushing team performance numbers. But you know, it, it, Mississippi State's been been kind of a kind of a weird team in some ways. I mean, they they haven't quite broken out. They seem to be you know on pace for a bowl game even if they were to lose to Auburn and then the finale at Ole Miss, both of them being winnable games, uh, they should beat Tennessee state next week, uh, an FCS opponent there. But, you know, this, this is a team I think that is capable of more. Would we uh, be really surprised if uh, they were to, to win their final three games of the season, you know, be an eight win team in a bowl, uh, pretty good bowl game. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I, I think that, uh, Will Rogers seems to be moving in the direction of a, you know, one of the better, uh, at least one of the most productive, certainly uh, quarterbacks in the SEC. He seems to be kind of finding his rhythm after a pretty shaky at times freshman season. A lot of questions coming into this year. Who's going to be the starter? It's been him and only him, right? Um, he's nailed down that job, and in recent weeks has has really been uh performing well. The receiving core has been a little bit of a surprise as to see, you know, Makai Polk jump out and be the clear number 1 guy. Thought Jaden Wally was going to be a little more uh, you know, at, at that sort of level of production. He's, you know, last week had I think one catch. Um bit of a surprise there, but they're able to get it done uh more often than not and they can give they can give teams trouble and Auburn is an opponent similarly capable of beating anybody on its schedule, uh, but sometimes, you know, allows itself to to be put in a a situation where maybe they lose a game. They shouldn't, Um, you know, last week against Texas A&M wasn't a bad performance. Uh, The team performer, excuse me, the the post-game win expectancy, only 5%, but they weren't blown out in that game. Uh, You know, they, they played, pretty well in the win over Ole Miss, played pretty well in the win over Arkansas. So it's understandable that they are favored in this game. It's understandable. You know, they do have a talent edge. Uh, In a lot of ways, they're statistically better. They're 16th in overall team performance, 33rd on offense, 15th on defense. And, you know, they, they rightly are favored at home over Mississippi State. It's just will they be able to take care of business in a game where, you know, they're expected to win. Five and a half is a uh, certainly uh, a, a number that they can cover. Our projections have it closer to seven and a half, so we are on uh, Auburn in this game. But because Mississippi State's just still a little bit, little bit of an unknown, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not hugely confident that that Auburn's going to be able to uh, win this game decisively or, or win by a, a field goal or more our projections 29 22 we do have uh, auburn coming out winning and covering but it also kind of feels like a game where maybe auburn has to escape with a last second you know field goal or or kind of like arkansas did uh touchdown there in, in the final minute so i don't have a, a a huge super comfortable uh read on this one um but our numbers do have Auburn winning and, and winning by uh, a touchdown or more. Xavier, what do you think of this game? Because
1: uh, I I feel as uncomfortable as Nick sounded there. Uh, I, I think gun in my head, I pick Auburn, right? Yeah. But um, I don't know. Mississippi State has been a little sneaky this year. What do you think?
2: They have been. But, you know, with this game being on the road for them and, and Auburn needing a win after the the – the performance they put out last week, where offense just was optional for them, Um I, I think you you see a game in which Auburn comes together and is able to put the to pieces together in a game I think that they haven't had in a, in a while. They they've skinned their, you know. I think last week was just a product of running into a brick wall against Texas A and M. They they played one of the hottest teams in the country right now, a defense that's found its footing, you know, and they got after Bo Nix and heck, you know, I, I think, you know, and obviously a defensive play is what busted that game open if we're being honest with ourselves. So I think, you know, Auburn sees itself as okay. We played a really talented defense last week and we weren't able to compete. However, when you when you play a Mississippi State team this week I don't see it as talented of a defense and I think Auburn's able to get back to what they do well they're able to run the football a little bit better which is something that they've been able to do over the last you know over the last month uh, barring the Georgia game you know against Arkansas and against Mississippi and they're going to get and they're going to say to themselves hey we've beat some quality teams last week's game was a miss no more offensively we're going to get back to what we do well we're going to make sure that Bowenix has time to be able to throw the football which is something that they were providing up until last week and on the flip side when you look at Mississippi. Mississippi State, uh, you're absolutely right. It's been a roller coaster year for them. That's why they're five and four. You know they they beat they beat Kentucky, then they lose to Arkansas. You know my biggest thing for Mississippi State and the reason as to why I don't think that they win this ball game is just the inconsistencies that they've had week in and week out. You know, some week they look like a team that deserves to be ranked. The next week they're unranked. I mean, heck, even the pollsters have been doing that to them all year. You know, they go from like last week they were 17 going into that game, then they're now they're unranked. So I think that when you look at at this game, the consistency from Mississippi State has not been there as much as it has been from Auburn. And that's why I'm going to go ahead and pick Auburn. I know I'm giving Auburn some love, which feels blasphemous. However, I can't, I can't with, you know, all of the conversations that we have on this podcast, I can't honestly say that I feel like Auburn's going to lose this game. Um, I think Auburn has shown himself worthy of winning this game. And also what what concerns me a little bit about Mississippi state is is what we saw a little bit last week was as good as their offense was because it's the air raid. And it's a point I made earlier in the podcast uh, about Nevada because it's the air raid, they hit fast and and then their defense is still out there for a, a way too long of a time. And you saw that they struggled down the stretch because Arkansas was just running the football at will down the stretch of that football game because even though their, you know, their offense was scoring points and keeping them in the game, they were scoring the ball so quickly that their defense was like, well, dang, that was a three minute drive. Like we're back on the field now. You know, it feels like, you know, three football minutes is probably what, 10 to 12 real time minutes. It's really not that long for you to get a Gatorade sit down and maybe get some adjustments, talk to you before, you know, you look back up and your team's either in the end zone or, and, you know, and you're back on kickoff. So, I think Auburn's able to control the clock with Tank Bigsby, or I think they're able to control the clock this week. I think Bo Nix gets back to, you know, what he's been able to do well, which is using his legs and his arm. Uh, and, and I don't think Mississippi State's nearly as good of a defense as A&M. And A&M, you know, and, and even with all that being said, A&M's offense struggled against Auburn last week. It wasn't until the defense started making plays towards the end of the ballgame where A&M was able to stretch that game out. And so I think Auburn is also more of a complete team. And so I think Auburn wins this ballgame. Um, and, and Mississippi State is 5-5, five and five, which is – honestly where i think where i thought most people think mississippi state would be after 10 games this year as a five and five ball club to be perfectly honest
1: yeah i mean it's that's why i picked it it's a weird game (laughs) uh you guys did nothing to help me with it so i appreciate that but uh i mean just i mean but that lets you know too if if you feel great about this game maybe take a step back and look at it from uh you know (laughs) Uh, 10,000 feet here instead of, uh, you know, uh, just, hey, look, Auburn seems like the better team, and I hate Mike Leach, so, which is how I pick games a lot of times. I just hate <laughs> Mike Leach, but um, uh, Xavier's games here. Uh, the First one up, Nick, Purdue at Ohio State. Uh, Purdue been big game hunters th- this uh, year, but I think this level might be too hard for them uh, as far as big game hunting goes. 20 and a half is the spread for Ohio State. 62 is the over. How do you see this one playing out? I
0: I think that Ohio State wins this one pretty easily. Uh, our projections agree with that. Uh, we have Ohio State to win and cover. Our current projections is 22. Uh, so not a huge, again, not a huge edge compared to the uh, odds makers and, and uh, the market. But it's pretty clear that Ohio State is one of the best teams in the country, one of the most talented teams in the country. And though Purdue has played really well and and you certainly have to give the players credit. You have to give uh Jeff Brom credit for elevating the level of play of a roster that uh according to our numbers ranked 67th in roster strength, 54th on offense, and 83rd on defense. And they're playing at a much, much higher level than that. I mean they're they're 45th in our power ratings. They rank 39th in team performance. And even though Braum is an offensive head coach, David Bell is one of the best offensive players at any position in college football. Uh, They only rank 69th in offensive team performance. They rank 126th uh, running the football in our numbers. They've played really solid defense, top 20 in all three ratings overall defensively against the pass and against the run. Uh, But, you know, Ohio State is the type of team. Oregon was able to, to find a way to get it done in part. You know, that Ohio State team seemed a lot younger earlier in the year, but guys like C.J. Stroud, one, is is healthier now than he was at that time. Uh, Two, Travion Henderson has emerged not only as the best freshman running back in the country, but one of the best running backs in the country. Uh, Chris Olave is still an All-American type receiver. Uh, Garrett Wilson, though he missed last week with uh, an apparent injury, sounds like he's going to be back, and then even if not, Jackson Smith and Jigba stepped in and had a huge, huge game, and you would expect would be able uh, to continue that as well. Uh, Ohio State is, is far from perfect, and I know a lot of people, you know, in the playoff discussion and, and all of that might uh, worry about where they're ranked uh, because of the, you know, strength of schedule and, and, uh, and what have you. But, you know, and, and even the last couple of weeks, they haven't they've, – they've come up short of our expectations against both Nebraska and Penn state. And that Nebraska game was probably a lot closer than, than just about anybody thought. I mean, I was, I was a little nervous that we were on Nebraska just to cover and Nebraska was very much in that game for, for most of it. But, uh, you know, I mean, they've been he, playing
1: hard. They opened up the the season so bad. Nebraska did. Xavier and I were immediately like, "Oh man, I think now him. Scott Frost <laughs> is the first guy out." Yeah. But I mean, they have played much better down the stretch here.
0: They have, and the record doesn't doesn't show it. But uh, you know, Purdue is a is a team that is. Operated in a similar way, where they've been able to actually, or or a better way, even they've been able to actually beat teams that are more talented. They they were able to beat Michigan State last week. Uh, They were able to beat Nebraska. Um, You know, they're they're uh, they they've had some losses and some winnable games as well, but they're certainly capable of and won't be intimidated by uh, a top five team i mean as I mentioned the the track record this year uh the historic things that they've done purdue has, as a program uh has more wins over top five teams than any other as an unranked opponent it's just one of those weird things that they do but he mentioned it briefly earlier that you know this game's not in west lafayette that at least so far has been you know that was a factor against michigan state they did go on the road to beat iowa but we've talked before about how that iowa team probably was a little overrated at number two, certainly overrated at number two, but, but, you know, potentially still uh, overrated um, and Ohio state is a much, much different team This is one of the elite programs in the country. And they have gotten better over the course of the season. Uh, the offense is arguably the best. I mean, they're number one in team performance uh, in our numbers. They're number two in passing team performance, number one in yards per play. Uh, number two in EPA per play, number two points per drive, number three success rate, number four yards per pass attempt, 10.0 yards per pass attempt, uh, number four in the country against FBS opponents. So, you know, they they are putting up elite numbers on offense. And even though Purdue, you know, and I think Jeff Brom and his staff will do a good job of game planning, will give themselves a chance to keep the game close. I think Ohio State's just too good. And I feel like, you know, uh, there, there's not a whole lot of, I guess, uh, analytical reason behind it, but this just feels like maybe Purdue has has uh, you know had its two big upsets, and now this one's just going to be a blowout. And uh, you know, our projection is is not to you know doesn't indicate that it'll be much bigger than than what the odds makers in the market expects but we do have Ohio State winning 42 to 20 a little higher scoring probably than uh than I would have expected I mean to go over 61 uh when we re- release this uh publicly was um that it's it's rare for us to be over games in the 60s so we do expect a, a higher scoring game uh as far as our model goes but uh you know 42 20 seems about right it wouldn't even surprise me if it was 4214, 4217, something like that. I think this is a game Ohio State should win and and probably should win comfortably. I won't be shocked if Purdue, uh, you know, surprises and, and keeps it closer than expected. Uh, but this feels like an opportunity for Ohio State to kind of get right and then put up a, a big number uh, and kind of you know, start to roll as, as they get ready to position themselves in, in the college football playoff, big 10 championship, Michigan, the end of the season, all that good stuff. So, uh, you know, not the, not the maybe greatest insight, but my gut feeling is that Ohio state wins this one pretty big.
1: Xavier, what do you think? You think this is a walk for Ohio state here and that the Man. magic is done for Purdue or, uh, are you going to give Purdue, uh, I guess maybe a little more credit for the wins that they've had this year.
2: Yeah, you know, I would have come into this week, and if Ohio State had a blown out Nebraska last week, I'd be absolutely saying what Nick is saying, right? I think that that would have been a, you know, a, you know, bam, you know, Ohio State's going to win this game. They're going to cover. It's going to get ugly. You know, Purdue's that teenager that smells himself a little bit too much and then gets punched in the mouth and then has to go back and lick his wounds. But when you, when, you, when you talk about how close that Nebraska game really, really was, right? Nebraska missed two field goals. You know, that game was a nine point win for, for Ohio State or, you know, nine points is, you know, where they pretty much kept it out for the for the better part of that fourth quarter. And Nebraska hits, it has better special teams. It's a three point game. You know, and, you know, I genuinely think that Ohio State, what, what troubled me last week was a little bit of, you know, their offense stagnating a bit in the red zone. That, that was a little concerning for me. Um, I felt like they settled a little bit too much um, in, in the red zone for me. And when you're talking about this Purdue team, this is a very bend-don't-break defense, right? This is a defense that, outside of Karloftis, um, and and I can't remember the other one on the on the defensive line, but doesn't have too much, you know, high-ceiling high, high ceiling talent on that defense. But they play very well together. They keep the ball in front of them. They don't let you – they really make you drive methodically. And, and that concerns me a little bit because as great as Ohio State's offense has been – They've been very explosive over the last couple of weeks. And the thing that Oregon made them do is they made them drive the length of the field. And, yes, C.J. Stroud obviously only had a couple of games, you know, didn't have that many games under his belt against Oregon versus how many games he has under his belt now. But even still, he's very young. And we saw it a bit last week with LSU and Alabama, you know, as talented as these guys are, can you keep them in the pocket and can you force them to put together a 10 play drive, no matter how good they are at quarterback, eventually a quarterback wants to take a deep shot and eventually they want to make big plays, especially with the receivers that he has with the Garrett Wilson, with Chris Olave, um, with the Jigba. he's going to take shots. And if Purdue can keep the ball in front of them, how many of those drives are going to stall out because they're in third and sevens and third and eights. And I think Purdue can keep this rather close. I'm going to pick Purdue to cover. I don't think they'll win the game, but I'm going to pick them to cover this week. Um, we we look we're, we're waiting for guys to like david bell to have a bad game or for somebody to be able to cover them well nobody's been able to figure it out yet let's just put it that way you know and, and you know they they've come up against some pretty darn good defenses in in their time uh and their big wins this year and nobody's been able to cover david bell yet so i'm not going to say this is the week that they figure out david bell because until somebody does it i'm not going to say i'm not going to suggest it uh, and, and i think Purdue. Is just a team that I think is a little uh, delusional is the wrong word, but when you have this much confidence, <laughs> who's to say that anybody can beat you at this point? I mean, you look at the wins that they have. They, you know, who's to say that you know when they come into this game they just don't play with confidence? And, and when I've talked about this several times on this podcast, when you have kids this young, confidence is something that carries and can and, and can really change the morale and the effort from a team week in and week out. And from here on out, they're the underdogs. They're the spoiler. Right. There's there's another spoiler for everybody's CFB playoffs. They've done it twice now. Can they do it a third? You know, and and that's what everybody's going to be wishing. And I think the the narrative that Nick has is a narrative that's going to be all week for them. So they have more than enough bulletin board material. When's their luck going to run out? You know, they're going to point out the flaws that Michigan State and, and Iowa clearly had that Ohio State doesn't. It's not on the road like or it's not at home, which is what I said earlier. Who's to say Iowa cares about any of that? And they just are able to go ahead and win another one that we're just like, how, right? And and, and, and I'll leave in with, with this. It's not like Iowa's been beating Michigan beat Michigan State and – and or sorry. It's not like um, Purdue beat Iowa and Michigan State close. They, they, they won those games outright. It wasn't like they needed a last-second field goal or, you know, an infamous block, you know, a block field goal or a block – they beat them, you know. They handedly beat Iowa. You know, outside of a a little hairy, it was a little hairier in the third quarter against Michigan State. They beat Michigan State, and I think that's something that you can even hang your hat on if you're Purdue and that coaching staff and the players. Is guys, these weren't close ball games. You know, at the, the box score is not going to show a close ball game if you just look at it. It's going to show we won these games handedly and we beat two top ten teams, two top five teams handedly. And I think that that's a confidence that they can carry. That I don't think you know, an unranked team typically can carry even one that does have an upset uh, on their record going into the year. So I, I I like Purdue to cover this game and I may be completely wrong, you know, but I will say Ohio State did scare me a little bit with the way in which they played last week against Nebraska. Uh, they just didn't, they weren't as dominant as I needed them to be on the offensive side of the ball. ball and Maybe that was because he was missing Garrett Wilson. Um, but that defense even didn't look extremely great until they had to be in that fourth quarter. It's like they saw their season, you know, flashing before their eyes as AJ Martinez ran by them. And they were like, we can't let this happen. Right. And then they finally (laughs) turned it on. I mean, you know what I'm saying? If that's the way you're going to play defensively, you're going to get burned. And if you know, and and this is a Purdue team that will burn you. So I like Ohio state to win, but I do like Purdue to cover.
1: Uh, Should be a fun game for sure. So I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Texas A&M at Ole Miss, Nick. This is another Xavier pick. Texas A&M, two and a half point favorites, 55 and a half. Is he over here? How do you see that game playing out?
0: Uh, So this one is, uh, you know, this week is kind of similar to last week where there weren't many huge matchups. uh, But Texas A&M finds itself in a, a position where it's playing a pretty big game arguably the biggest of the week against a ranked opponent and has a, an opportunity for, you know, another big win. This is a, a Texas A&M team that at times, you know, obviously has maybe the best win of, of any team this season. I mean, the Oregon win over Ohio state. Mm. It's good. This Texas A&M team uh, it certainly has an argument as the, uh, best win, having the best win of any team this season beating Alabama. You could certainly make an argument for Oregon over Ohio State, but, uh, you know, (laughs) wins against Alabama are are extremely, extremely rare. And it's a little bit of a disappointment that they lost those back-to-back games against Arkansas and Mississippi State because, you know, it would be fun to see if this Texas A&M team uh, could really make a run at, uh, you know, the playoff. But they're certainly capable of beating any team, on the schedule, uh, they're certainly capable, I think, of going on the road and picking up a big win uh, at Ole Miss, but, you know, will be a, a pretty tough environment. And despite some of the high highs that they've had, they, they also have had some disappointing results as well. So it's not necessarily like, you know, we can trust Texas A&M to take care of business and win games, uh, you know, comfortably, especially on the road in you know these types of spots they are you know limited at quarterback uh i've been playing a a backup most of the season in zach calzada and even he is not fully 100 look like he had a separated shoulder or something in that range last week was able to get back in there gut it out and lead texas a&m to a win against auburn a, a solid win uh but the passing game has certainly been uh you know Disappointing is not the right word. I mean, I didn't have huge, huge expectations. But based on the talent that they've got in receiver, guys like Nia Smith, DeMond DeMoss, I mean, Caleb Chapman's uh, had some moments. Uh, Chase Lane has been uh, you know, a, a contributor in the past. Jalen Watermeyer, one of the better tight ends in the country. They should be a little bit better than 77th in passing team performance, I think. Uh, the running game is great. Isaiah Spiller, David chain. Are, uh, you know, maybe the best one two combo in the SEC. They're certainly in the conversation. And Ole Miss, despite some uh, improvements in some ways defensively, they are up to 60th in defensive team performance. They struggle stopping the run. They're 88th in uh, rushing team performance on the defensive side of the ball. They're 121st in success rate, uh, 94th in EPA per play, 90th in yards per pass attempt. So you can attack them uh, through the air as well. Uh, but, you know, they've, they've certainly got some talent on that side of the ball. They've got some guys capable of making plays. Sam Williams has been one of the best pass rushers in the SEC this season. Uh, he did suffer an injury last week, and it's unclear as to whether or not, you know, how long that will impact him. But Chance Campbell has brought a you know real positive um, impact at linebacker after he transferred in last season. Their secondary is experienced, talented, uh, has, you know, underachieved certainly at times, but is capable of, of making plays, certainly capable of turning over an injured retro freshman quarterback when given the opportunity, especially if that pass rush is able uh, to, to impact uh, him or if they are able to, uh, you know, do some things to slow down Spiller and A-chain. But uh, for Ole Miss, it's, you know, what is the offense going to look like? Sounds like Matt Corral's not practicing right now. He's been hurt, uh, ankle, low body injury the last couple of weeks. Was able to get out and play, uh, you know, finish that game two weeks ago. Uh, was able to get out there uh, last week against Liberty, but the offense was not, you know, as explosive or, or as good as it had been in previous weeks. Braylon Sanders, who had been banged up, was able to get back and play against Liberty. But not sure he's fully 100%. Uh, even if he is, you know, they're without multiple guys. Jonathan Mingo, Dontario Drummond sound like are, uh, you know, at least going to be limited if they're able to get back on the field after missing uh, last week. Mingo's missed, you know, a month basically now. Uh, so it's it's uh, an old Miss offense that is capable. The running back position is deep and, and talented. Jerry Ely's been banged up. Looked better last week. But they've been dealing with something and and it seems to be ongoing at the quarterback position, the running back position, the receiver position. The offensive line has had its its share of injuries. So this offense, as good as it's been, as good as it's capable of being. Number four in total offense, or excuse me, number four in team performance on the offense side of the ball, number fourteen passing, number seven rushing. I'm not sure they're going to be able to play anywhere near that level against this Texas a and M defense. Given, you know, the the injury situation uh, that's going on there in in Oxford will be, I'm sure, an electric atmosphere will be uh, one of the most watched games of the week. Uh, Huge opportunity for uh, this Ole Miss team that is still, you know, could get to 10 wins. Absolutely. Uh, I've got winnable games against Vanderbilt and Mississippi State to finish out the regular season, a bowl game in there. Uh, But if they're able to knock off Texas A&M. Uh, you know, this this really would be one of the special seasons that, that we've seen from this program in a while and, and could get Corral, especially if he's able to, you know, gut out a, a you know, difficult injury situation. That's the kind of like Heisman moment type thing, right? When you see a guy throw for 400 yards, five touchdowns, pull off a big win and, and kind of limp down the field uh, to celebrate, you know, that that's one scenario here and, and certainly is in the realm of possibility. But Texas A&M, even on the road, even with its own and arguably maybe more uh, important uh, injury issues at quarterback, I, I just trust that A&M defense a bit more, uh, especially against a shorthanded or banged up Ole Miss offense. They're sixth in team performance on defense, number five against the pass, number 15 against the run. There are no weak spots in this Texas A&M defense, even though they've had their own uh, you know injuries in the secondary. I mean, there's a handful of guys who haven't played since early October, in that secondary, but they've been playing at a, a really strong level up front. DeMarvin Leal is a 100 rated player; has been super productive in his career. Tyree Johnson uh is, uh, you know, had 12 production points coming into this season. Uh, has played well this year at times as well. That defensive line, you know, number 18 in D line performance ratings. Uh, but I would argue is is you know better than that. They're a top ten unit uh, in D line strength. They're a top ten unit in our roster numbers. Uh, it's going to be a struggle for that Ole Miss offensive line, and it's going to be a struggle for them to give Matt Corral you know time to operate. Is that running game going to be able to produce at its higher levels uh, against this Texas A and M defense? I'm I'm not so sure. So we are on. Texas A&M to win. Our, our projection does have them as just a one-point favorite, so I think they are capable uh, and should pick up a win on the road, but it's basically a coin flip, very, very tight margin to the line. Uh, our projected final score is 31-30, to 30, uh, which gives a little bit of value to the over, somewhat surprisingly. I mean, I guess uh, the, the odds makers think that the uh, Ole Miss – Injuries on offense are enough that this is going to be a Texas A&M style game, uh, lower lower scoring. That certainly is is possible, uh, but we are on Ole Miss to cover, and so you know that'll be uh, if we are, are lucky enough to be on the right right side of another very narrow margin, that would be great. Um, but this is another game that could go either way. Really close matchup, two different styles but in arguably the biggest game of the week, it's, it should, I think be one of the uh, more fun games that, that we will be treated to. So on Texas a and to win a, a nail biter, Ole Miss to cover that. I don't have a strong feel one way or the other, but you know, I guess that's as, as good of a place to be as, as we can hope for.
1: I mean, Xavier, I hate to say it, but I'm also on the Aggies here and it's just because of the banged upness of Ole Miss's offense. <laughs> so I think that, uh, Texas a and is going to control the the style of this game, like Nick mentioned, and uh, kind of grind out a win here. What do you think?
2: Well, let's first talk about, I think we're going to coin that term for this podcast, the banged upness uh, of of Ole Miss. I like that one. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with and here. I think that this, this is a team coming in, and I've said this a lot this year. Um, I've talked about how Ole Miss's offense is something I can hang my hat on week in and week out, uh, to be as explosive. I'm not so sure against this defense, you know, this stay defense. And we talked about it a lot in the preseason. And obviously we got off of AM pretty early on after a couple of disappointing losses, but this defense is as good as advertised and, ha- and has been for over the last, I'd say three weeks, two or three weeks. Right. So I, I really think that they're going to give Matt Corral trouble. I don't know how healthy he is. Um, so that will be you know, that'll be determined in game. You know, maybe the adrenaline gets running and, you know, MacRae gets to scrambling again. But I just don't know how much he'll be able to actually do that. And to Texas a credit, you know, they just played a, a quarterback who loved to use his legs and bow Nix. I think they're going to pretty much I think they're going to play a pretty similar scheme to Bo Nix than what they did to Matt Corral as it it pertains to his ability to run, right? Maybe they offer a spy. Maybe they play a little bit more contained on the defensive end spot, you know, and keep him inside the pocket and don't allow him to get outside of it. Uh, You know, because obviously that's where both those quarterbacks, Matt Corral and uh, Bo Nix are very, very dangerous and have shown a lot that this season. I think from Ole Miss's perspective, you're absolutely right, Nick. This is an opportunity for them to get a win that I don't think many people are picking them for. I think that this is an opportunity. I, I blank if it loves being the underdog. Obviously, um, we saw it in the Alabama game with you know the most notable thing he's done all season on a mic. But I think that you know he loves being the underdog, and, and they're home. And I think that that's going to off you know be an opportunity for him to have an amazing win. Matt Corral getting a Heisman moment possibly in this game. You know if he was able to throw a game-winning you know put together a two-minute drive to win the game against A and M, right? Who at this point is a is a fringe top ten team. So. I like AM though, because of the fact not only because of how their defense has been playing, but their commitment to the run. Right? We see we know a lot of teams run the football well, but it's the fact that AM, regardless of what's going on, regardless of if it's working for two and a half, three quarters, heck, against Auburn, the running game worked for half the fourth quarter, and that's all they used it for. And they continue to give it to Spiller and a chain and continue to just. Give the ball, and, and I think that even with and with Calzada being hurt, I think you see more of an emphasis on that this week. You know, letting guys like Evan Neal up front, or excuse me, Kenya Green up for, um, front. You know, get you know get confidence, and they continue to run the football. It's a Jimbo thing. They're they're, they're going to stay committed to that running game, regardless of if it's working or not. And against an Ole Miss team that defensively, not only are they not great, have not been great defensively, but they're not deep either. The depth has been in question for me all year. And, you know, in this game like this, A&M is going to run it from the first quarter to the fourth quarter those runs of 3 yards in the first quarter may become runs of 7 to 10 in the fourth. And that's really what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to punish Ole Miss for four quarters as long as A&M's defense and it has been up until this point keeps them in the ball game. And I think that that's the most important thing here is that if A&M can keep this game, you know, within a, you know, if they're losing within a touchdown, within three points, you see A&M put together like a 14-point fourth quarter and come away with a win. That's how I think that they could do it. So I absolutely like A&M here uh to keep this ball rolling. And heck, can we please get some chaos down the stretch and like Auburn beat Alabama, which sees and him getting to the SEC championship game? Because I just, you know, I just want chaos. You know, I'm all here for the chaos as long as it's not as long as it's happening two through 25. Keep all the chaos going as we've had it this year in college football. God, I, I, make,
0: I, make that playoff field as, as weak as it can possibly be. Yeah, <laughs>
2: I, I, That's, I, that, that, I'm bored. That, hey. Nick's words, not mine.
0: Give, <laughs> give, give me a, a Georgia, Oklahoma. Final. That's all I want.
2: Well, you just uh, want because that's what you guessed at the beginning of the year. <laughs> or Alabama Oklahoma is what you guessed at the beginning of the year. That's
0: what I'm uh moderately invested in. But of course, the <laughs> biggest game of the week where I'm much more invested Hawaii? in we need uh UMass to get that just fire their head coach bounce and take care of business this week against Maine. Don't leave it up to the finale against New Mexico State. Take care <laughs> of business. We're halfway there. To one and a half—that's the other one and a half, Scott. That I should have should have mentioned. Our biggest, most important uh, <laughs> bet of the season: UMass. We got to get it done this week against Maine. Let's do wait, it.
2: Wait, wait—you don't have UConn covering over Clemson with forty-one. Uh, uh,
0: uh, we do have UConn covered. I, I would not be yeah. shocked, you know. Let's but it, but, it's, but it's like thirty nine points. I mean, it's a you know they're all <laughs> they're all within two points, of course. Uh, but but yeah, we are on UConn. But UMass, let's get that win. I think it's me. Let's lost, go. Lost an opportunity against Rhode Island last week. That was a, that was a <laughs> that disappointment. Was, uh, Major good.
1: disappointment. UMass Minutemen, right? So let's UMass go. Uh, right. Let's go, Minutemen. Uh, what do we have as far as all three agree and wrong team favored for Week Eleven, Nick?
0: We have another very large uh, selection, as we mentioned. Made a little bit of progress last week. This week, I feel I think this is maybe my uh, most optimistic all three agree selection group of the season, and there's there's a ton of them. I mean, there's uh, what, 18, 19, 20, 22 of them. Uh, so like a third of the the slate, uh, which I don't usually love, but we need to catch up a little ground. And and I actually feel good about like 70% of them. Uh, we already have Akron plus 26. Uh, we talked about Northwestern plus 25. Louisville minus three, which anytime we're on a favorite in an all three agree historically has been a, a pretty decent spot. I uh, don't necessarily trust Louisville, but but Louisville minus three there Uh, West Virginia plus six and a half UCF plus seven. There are a few teams that we've, we've had a lot of all three agrees and they've spurned us and temple plus 25 is one of that. One of those Uh, we're just hopeful that that 25 might just be, you know, a few too many points against Houston rice plus 18 and a half, Arizona plus 24 South Alabama plus 22 and a half Tennessee plus 20 and a half against Georgia Uh, Charlotte plus six and a half. FIU plus 10. FIU has been one of those that's given us a lot of trouble in this spot. Uh, Southern Miss plus 33. Missouri. We had Missouri plus one and actually have that as the wrong team favorite. I believe Missouri is favored now, though. Uh, Tulane plus three against Tulsa. Arkansas State has disappointed us at times, but we have Arkansas State plus three this week. Stanford plus 12, even though they're probably going to be playing another backup quarterback uh, and just looked Awful last Friday night against Utah. Uh, Vanderbilt plus 21, New Mexico plus 24 and a half, Washington again, <laughs> uh, unfortunately so, but you know, fewer of those this week. Notre Dame minus five and a half, which that's been a decent spot for us, as I mentioned. And then going back to what Xavier won that he was uh, uh, confused about and thought for sure Arkansas should be uh, able to win this game easily. We actually have LSU favored to win outright. LSU plus two and a half is an all three agree. LSU to win outright, all three agree. Of course, not a great track record this year for our numbers <laughs> like LSU. I haven't, I haven't, you know, dug too deep into it. But LSU's, even though they've had a ton of injury problems, hasn't played all that great. Maybe the more talented team still. So I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Not a whole lot of confidence, but I see your face. On here. Unfortunately, am. the.
2: I am just taken aback by that one. I
0: we've been wrong a lot, so (laughs) but but we'll see. Uh, Wrong team favored: Missouri, Tulane, Colorado State. That was a little bit of a surprise. We have Colorado State favored over Air Force, NC State. We mentioned and then LSU. So uh, wrong team favorites have been trending in the wrong direction recently, but they're still above water this year. And if you look at the money line, still a, a pretty profitable spot for us so hopefully we can you know get three or four of these and uh get you know finish the season strong like i said i feel i feel pretty good about the majority of the all three agrees and i'm i'm uh looking for a, a winning week there and and some real progress in that area so hopefully hopefully it'll come through for us and uh, we'll get back on the on the right side this week
1: Fingers crossed for sure. But that is going to wrap it up for us for this uh, episode of the CFB Winning Edge podcast. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogdan Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. Uh, Good luck, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.
0: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.